Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Coffee and Football, presented by BKCW Insurance, right here on On Texas Football. I'm your host, Blake Monroe, where I'm joined each and every morning by Bobby Burton and Jerry Hamilton, both of On3 and Inside Texas. And guys, great news yesterday for Texas fans, as Quinn Ewer sounds like he's going to be back in action on Saturday. What was y'all's initial reaction upon hearing that? I think I think uh, alike about a million other Texas fans, a sigh of relief went, <laughs> went across um, because, you know, as, as hard as uh, Malik Murphy tried uh, and uh, competed for Texas, let's be clear. Let's, let's give him his due. He was turning the ball over too much for my, uh, my heart, I guess my, my cardiologist. Uh, so uh, this is a, this is a good move. Uh, the question I have, and I know Jerry, you and I have talked about this, is just how healthy he is, right? But just uh, landmark news for the Longhorns as they they're eight and one and trying to go to you know the Big Twelve championship game here. Jerry, you you have any thoughts? Yeah, I don't think Sark would put Quint. One, I wasn't surprised because when he's practicing every day, it was going to take a lot for Sark to go to Quinn and say you can't play yet, buddy. Not what Quinn wanted to play in this game. We've been saying that. Um, I, I think. Uh, if he couldn't make all the throws and stretch the field vertically, he would not be playing. That we know about Sark's offense. So if there was any lingering issues um, with arm strength coming off an injury, not being able to stretch the field vertically, not being able to make that opposite hash, deep comeback throw, curl throw, he wouldn't be playing. Uh, that's the reality because Sark ain't going to dink and dunk the ball around a football field. It's not going to happen. Uh, so Sark watched him and said, all right, velocity's there, timing's there, he can make all the throws, let's go. Um, now I think it's going to be so interesting. You know, pass protection just became a premium for Texas Saturday. They got they can't let Quinn get hit early in this game because TCU's going to try to hit. They, TCU's going to, one, try to hit him early, and two, they're going to invite him to run. Yeah, it, it's going to be interesting because there's there's a thought process here uh, in my opinion, that, you know, while you're right, Jerry, um, about the arm strength of Quinn Ewers, uh, the one question I do have is whether or not he saw enough from uh, from Malik Murphy to say, I may be willing to take a little less arm strength from Quinn this week. I think so that's I, true. I, I still have that. I still have that kind of question in my brain right now because – he knew Sark knows he couldn't go in there with two or three turnovers and expect to keep hanging on. I mean, because this TCU is not BYU. BYU is hapless on off, off yeah. it. Okay. TCU is much more in the realm of K-State, even though K-State beat the tar out of them, in that they're they're they have the capacity to score points. They have good talent on both sides of the ball. They're a threatening team, even if they're not a great team right now. I'm not trying to. Uh, you know, try try to overplay it. It's just they're not BYU where you can go in and say, okay, we're probably going to win no matter no matter what the quarterback does. Right. We need something else, Adam. So I I I lean a little bit like Quinn may still not be a hundred percent, but uh, see, I, I, look, sigh of relief is is the understatement. I think Texas got to lean on the run game as much as they can against TCU tomorrow. Uh, this is a game where. Uh, the Longhorns and, and TCU has been run against. The problem that Texas's run game has had is consistency. 
Uh, a lot of big runs, but they haven't been getting the five and six and seven yards with regularity that you want. They've been getting one and two yard runs that sets up second and eight and second and nine. And all of a sudden you're behind the chains a little bit. They need more of those first down runs that gets them into second and four. Uh, so I, from a Texas offense standpoint, I'm looking not only at Quinn Ewers, but just how, quote unquote, effective the run game is on a consistent basis, because that will help take slow down the rush. 100% and they have to. It'll help them. They won't be blitzing on second and four. Doesn't make as much sense unless it's a run blitz. Uh, and so that, that among many things, can help uh, slow down that TCU defense from just trying to, to your point, throw the kitchen sink at them. Couple things here, real quick, Blake, before we move on to the next. Somebody mm-hmm. said checking in from the hometown of Jason Peters. Yeah, Bobby and I know Queens. <laughs> Look, if you've been doing this a long time, you've been through every town and you said every town in Texas where all the greats have come from. And uh, Queen City, yeah, man. I, I think he may have gone to junior high at Hooks and moved to Queen City. I don't know. But, you know, look, they, they neighbor up. The other thing is somebody's checking in from Phoenix City. I see that all the time and I've never commented. Man, Central High, a lot of talent. And if you haven't, if you don't go watch Phoenix City Central uh, play high school football on a Friday night, you probably should once. They got a lot I, of quality players. Time out for people that don't know. It's Phoenix City, Alabama, not Phoenix, Arizona. Right. <laughs> There's no O in Phoenix. Uh, out in Alabama either. All right, guys. Well, one of the other things that we need to touch base on real quick, we talked about Quinn Ewer's health, but what else did Sark say regarding the health of the team going forward into this weekend? You know, he, he also came out and said, uh, th- he followed on what he meant and talked about on Monday when he said, look, we're, we're healthy. Jalen Catalan is going to be back. Sark just basically said, yes, he's back. Christian Jones back. Keaton Crawford back. Really, I... Other than, I don't know of anybody that is out right now, Jerry, unequivocally. No, no. I mean, right they're, they're, as he- they're as healthy now as they have been all season, basically. Yeah, so he, I, put, I, put, I said this yesterday, and somebody added in only one player. The entire roster that went to Alabama is now going to be playing again, save Chris Ross, who got removed from the program. So these guys are going to look around and say – all the same faces that went to Alabama. You know, these guys are going to be looking around Saturday. They're going to be seeing, looked at her right, looked at her left, seeing guys that started with them at Alabama. And that's very important. But I think is as important as that to, as that is, guys, Cam Williams, <clears throat> Derek Williams, <clears throat> Malik Murphy, you go down the list, uh, DJ Campbell playing more snaps. How invaluable is the experience all these guys got while you are winning? So if there's an injury here later in November, you aren't throwing Cam Williams in there uh, on the road at Iowa State saying, oh my gosh, this guy's never played before. He's now played a game that meant something. All these guys have. Derek Williams' growth has been accelerated. Um, so you could just go down the list. You Look, Jamon Tat playing more due to injury. You just keep going down this list and you say, you won while, or you stayed in the playoff picture. You stayed in the Big 12 hunt while getting some guys' experience that once you left the field at Tuscaloosa with a win, you really didn't think we're going to play a lot this year. And they had to due to injury. So this team's in a better place from a health standpoint and an experience standpoint with everything on the line starting Saturday night. Boy, I, I look, Jerry, you're, you're getting me excited for next year too, because 
No, I'm serious because yeah. these guys are going to be playing more next year that that have filled in. Uh, you mentioned Jamon Tap, Dre Bledsoe, uh, some of those guys that have just gotten a lot of time and, and focus and energy. Uh, even Gunnar Helm. I, I, this is a you know, now he's been playing a lot the whole time, but you know J.T. Sanders went out right for a little while and yeah, and they on a bigger role. Yeah, so. Uh, those kind of things, those little things matter, uh, not just this year, but in years moving forward. No right. question. Guys, one other thing that we wanted to talk about real quick and kind of switching gears away from football for a second, Bobby, is Texas volleyball had a, <laughs> had a pretty big signing that I was going to let you tell folks about. Yeah, Aiden Ames, uh, a middle blocker, six foot four from Prosper. I think some people have her number one, two, or three player in the country. Uh, she originally committed to Nebraska and decommitted about a week ago and signed with Texas yesterday. Uh, she goes, she's in the 2024 class. Uh, Texas also clearly one of the best preeminent volleyball programs in the country. Uh, Marcus Spears' daughter is out of Preston Christian. She's also committed to Texas, but she's in the class of 2025. Many people consider her the number one overall player in the country. Kind of that Logan Eggleston leader yeah. of the pack, Madison Skinner type person. But uh, Aiden Ames uh, decommitting from Nebraska where volleyball is about the only thing they went at uh, and going to Texas instead. A couple more things, Blake, real quick. Somebody's asking about Byron Washington at DeSoto, uh, the mammoth offensive tackle who will play Garden College. I think Texas is the favorite right now. Ole Miss, Oregon, some of those other programs coming in on Byron Washington. He's originally from Monroe, Louisiana, moved to DeSoto prior to his freshman year. Uh, not a not a kid that's a lock to go to LSU or anything like that. I think Texas is in a pretty good spot early on with him. Somebody mentioned basketball plays tonight. They do. 8 p.m. at home, Longhorn Network against Delaware State. Look, Delaware State's not very good. Um, lost 79-45 uh, to Penn State, who lost their coach and about everybody else off that team Texas beat in around the 32 game. Uh, but it'll be another good Warm up, and I think. Look, I think these games are important for Texas. I know everybody wants to play the murderers row schedule. I don't this year. They're trying to mix in. They're trying to mix in Caden Shedrick now, Zarek Anyimna, Max Asmus. They're trying to Ithiel Horton. Uh, you know, you have Kendall Weaver. They're mixing in a lot of these new guys, and I think getting finding their footing is so important here. These first three, four, five games. The games get tougher as far as the G five opponents after Delaware State. Uh, so we'll see what happens. I, I expect uh, D- Dylan DeSue, I still expect back in December. I'll let you know if that changes. Um, I think they, they've got good news on him as far as from the doctor um, that is saying things are moving very well right now. So he's back on the court, just not on the court with the team. He's starting to do some light stuff on the side basketball-wise, not on uh, on uh, on the court with the team. Uh, and then Chris Johnson, look, Chris Johnson would have played in the opener if it was a Big 12 game. We'll see if they sit him out again. I, I think they're just kind of monitoring him because what the last thing they want is the, just that the thing to linger in games that are going to win by 40. Jerry, one question real quick on your recruiting-wise. So Texas signed Cam Scott and Nick Cody early yep. signing period. Where are they at on Trey Johnson, the top five player? Yeah, Trey Johnson. I, look, I think Texas is a pretty decent spot. Uh, Baylor's fighting. They're slugging it out. Um, number four player in the country. I'm actually going to have an article on that on Inside Texas Saturday about – the significance of Trey Johnson if he were to pick Texas over Baylor. Uh, but early signing period ends next Wednesday, November 15th. Uh, I think uh, I think I'll be a little surprised if he doesn't do something in the early signing period just because 
in the state of Missouri, once you sign your scholarship grant and aid papers, you can start making NIL money. And for a guy that's about to play a basketball season as a five-star recruit and top five in the country, he stands to do pretty well. All right, guys. Well, you're watching Coffee and Football presented by BKCW Insurance. Here in a little bit, by the way, we'll have Steven Johnson of the Fort Worth Star-Telegram joining us to talk about that Horn Frogs matchup this weekend. But before we get to some questions, Bobby, I'm going to let you tell folks about BKCW Insurance. Yeah, BKCW, it's all about what they call the insurance trap. And that's where uh, if you're if you're interested in uh, what I would call business insurance, so you have uh, not just uh, an agent for your home you know, your home auto insurance, but actually you have a business and they don't talk, call you every week. You know, they don't, they're not checking in on you. They just uh, talk to you maybe once a month or once a year, even. Uh, this is where you want to go is BKCW. They try to give you an audit each and every year and give, get you ahead of the insurance trap. So you're not just sitting there kind of wondering what's going on, operating out of their Austin headquarters and owned by a UT grad, BKCW uses a five-step process to identify your business's weak spots, design a plan, execute it, and monitor your situation throughout the year so that you can lower your insurance costs and effectively manage your company's risk. BKCW has already helped some of the most well-known construction companies, restaurant groups, breweries, and nonprofits in Central Texas escape the insurance trap. And it all starts with a free risk assessment. Go to bkcw.com or send an email to info at bkcw uh, to get started with a free risk assessment or claims audit and escape what they call the insurance trap. All right. We want to thank them for sponsoring every Friday. And we got some questions, guys, that we need to get to. So we're going to go ahead and do that. And Jerry, this is going back to what you were talking about a second ago. Uh, from Archmania. So does that Missouri law count if a player commits to an out-of-state program or is it just in-state? I, From what I understand, it's a scholarship paper anywhere. It is. I don't think they could limit that to in-state. I don't think that would pass. All right, there you go. And then we have a super chat from Carrie. I want to thank Carrie. And he says, good morning, boys. Horn since birth, born during the 64 National Championship game wow. against Navy. Uh, Gary, Myron Charles yeah. from Port Charlotte, Florida, 2025 defensive line, being recruited by everyone, saw him recently. Kid is a beast. Myron Charles is a stud 2025 DL. He just dropped his top 12, which most juniors are doing about now. Um, the top 12 seems like the popular number. The key there is Florida didn't make it. Ah, interesting. Florida's struggling a little bit with these struggles on the field now. Florida State's a good good spot there. Every national program's coming after him. Texas loves Brandon Brown at O'Galley in Melbourne. So if you want to jump across state to the Space Coast, he's he's a beast. Similar to Tommy Harris in some ways. Oof. I know. I knew I knew I'd get a reaction from Bobby. <laughs> I went for Reaction Friday. Hey, hey, Tommy Harris still remains one of the biggest, quickest guys I've yep. seen on the high school level. Yep. Like, he was never bonus-sized. Right. That, he's, he was never Tavondre Sweat, right? But imagine Byron Murphy, but, like, kind of longer-limbed. I mean, that's that's what Tommy tier. Harris was in high school. Tier, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just whew, tell you. Uh, well, we got a lot of questions about Quinn, so we're going to go ahead and get to some. Oh, of them. <laughs> Captain Americano says, 
Given that Quinn is likely less than 100%, you would expect to see Sark devise a game plan to limit hits on his quarterback. Do you expect to see any run-heavy formations, such as big six offensive linemen or quick passing game this weekend? You know, I think uh, I think we'll see a little bit of everything from Sark. I think you got to be um, you got to be versatile within your scheme, um, and I think a lot of it, a lot of this will be too, Bobby. Is do they really run a lot of three high for an extended period of time against Texas, or is it a three high look? And it's actually a, a single safety, right? I mean, what are the looks truly going to be from TCU? And if Texas is effective running the ball early, how does that change TCU's defensive game plan? They need Dominic Williams to own the middle Saturday. Own the middle. He won't. I don't think he will. Yeah. Uh, they're they're going to try to pick on the combo of Jake Majors, Hayden Connor in the run game. Yeah. So instead of trying to push over on uh, DJ Campbell, I think they're going to try to push inside that that uh, that left side. Uh, I, I say all that because I do think Texas is going to have to be multiple, and I mentioned that at the outset. I, I think they're going to do some things uh, that uh, pushes uh, Steve Sarkeesian to make early decisions. That's the whole idea behind the three high. They want to disguise what you do and invite you to do things and then react to it quicker than you can actually react. So, um, look – I don't know exactly how they're going to go out there and, and accomplish this. I do believe, and this is my opinion uh, as it relates to uh, Texas in Saturday, is we're going to see a different Texas style of offense against TCU than we saw a year ago against TCU. I don't think Steve Sarkeesian is going to go out there and run the same stuff he ran a year ago. Um, he's got an answer uh, for the three high that he's been deploying at times that has worked. Um, look, Texas, even though they've seen all these three high looks this year, Jerry, they've scored 30 points in every single game. Yeah. So if Texas can continue in that capacity, I think they're in good shape against the Horned Frogs. Uh, and that's that's where they need to be. Uh, how they react to what TCU does and plays, I mean, we'll see uh, on Saturday. I'm not sure that TCU has the personnel – to completely switch up what they do. They're not as deep as they were a year ago. The big key for TCU Saturday, they've been a very poor tackling team in space. If they if they better have a good tackling game in space against Texas. Texas has a couple guys that can make them pay. Yeah. I mean, you I saw what Xavier, Worthy, what Xavier Worthy did to that Wyoming defensive back in game three. That should that that you put that on tape and everybody and everywhere is looking like I don't want that to happen to me. <laughs> and and if TCU trots out a guy out there that can't cover him, it's it's liable to happen. So. I got this next question is kind of a simple one from Ray Potter, but it's a loaded one. Good morning, y'all and Hookem. Any prediction for Quinn's stat line against TCU? I only got one. Win. <laughs> <laughs> Outside of that, I mean I. Um, I think it's going to have a W by it. Um, I, uh, I don't know. That's a, that's a tough one. I, I, I don't, Sark wants to be very balanced, right? Um, he was very balanced against Kansas state and some would argue too balanced, um, considering quarterback situations in the game. Um, I, I just don't, Sark hasn't showed this year because he's got better skill players than he had the last two years around this quarterback that he's going to go run it 50 times in a game. 
I, I that that's the thing. I think if you could get 32 passes, 43, 44 runs Saturday, things are going very well for Texas. I'm looking at his stats for the year. Um, 151 of 213 for 71% passing. Okay. Um, I I think it's going to be somewhere around uh, 18 of 28, 19 of 28, something like that. Uh, maybe 20 of 28. Uh, hopefully two or three touchdowns and no interceptions. Cannot turn the ball. You, the, the, re- the only recipe, in my opinion, for TCU to win this football game, some kind of boneheaded play by Texas that includes an interception, fumble in the red zone, that sort of thing. They cannot. They have to play a clean game. Texas plays a clean game. Texas wins, in my opinion. Agree. At this next question is from Sharpshooter, and he says, do you think TCU will be willing to give up a couple of long pass plays and load the box until Quinn proves his arm is up to the challenge? I think I think the issue is Alabama did that, <laughs> and they are as good a team as there is in the country right now. I was going to say it's in the country. Um, then uh, Kansas State just tried that last week. And they just couldn't oh, – what they did for about a 20-play script is watch Texas receivers run by them. And there's that's really scary when you have multiple guys running past your guys. Um, I don't know if TC will necessarily do that. I do think they're going to bring the house early and try to hit Quinn, though. But I'm not sure they're just going to leave guys on islands. Bobby? I, I would bracket Xavier Worthy from the start, Bobby. Uh, they may try to do that, Jerry. I, look, the, the reality of it is Texas um, and what they're going to do on offense, one of the two guys can get deep. Either Xavier or um, AD, uh, Donna, Adonai Mitchell can get deep. Uh, that's been proven game after game after game, unless you just play way the hell back, yeah. okay, which is what – Kansas State reverted to in the second half. Okay. Not only did they bracket uh, Xavier Worthy, they played 10 yards off the receivers on the edge. Go back and watch that game and look how deep the cornerbacks were off of Adonai Mitchell. That's why those RPO throws in the fourth quarter were wide open to Adonai. Um, You know, so I feel like K State. That's not a real look of what Texas can do if Quinn Ewers is the quarterback, though. Um, I go back to what Rod said. Uh, Rod thinks that the way to beat the three-high look is to be severe in your looks. Line up three wides to one side of the field. Yeah. Uh, try to try to d- go two back or three back even at times. Give them looks that make them declare what they're going to do before the snap. Because if you can do that, then the quarterback does get a pre-snap read. To Rod's point, Mike Gundy did that against Kansas State. Yes, and it worked. Yeah. Um, so that's where that's what he thinks Sark. I mean, and Rod said Sark's shown some thoughts of doing that at times against these teams this year. So we'll see how it goes uh, on Saturday. But I don't think the three-high safety is as bad as it once was. It wasn't. And Rod said this as well, Jerry and, and Blake. It's not as been as, as effective as it once was against Texas. Some of that is the increased skill level talent that Texas has. 
and some of it's an older quarterback, and some of it is Sark adapting to it. All right, this next question is going to be about Quinn. Well, this will be the last one for a little bit, uh, but it's from Rick Serda, and he says, does Quinn still struggle reading defenses? When the offense stalled against Houston, it seems he couldn't find anyone downfield. Were the receivers not getting open, or was that more on Quinn? I think it was a little bit of both. Um, I think that Houston came out and surprised Texas with a three-high safety look for the first time all year they played it. It was, I mean, Texas did not expect that. Quinn didn't expect it. Um, Sark didn't expect it. Uh, yet they scored, what, 17 or 14 points to start the game off pretty quickly. Um, again, they started making sure Xavier Worthy couldn't beat them deep. If you remember that beautiful pass Quinn had to Worthy, uh, uh, up the sideline. After that, Texas didn't really move the ball the same because they started bracketing worthy to Jerry's point. Um, Quinn has to be a little quicker in his decisions. I do, I do agree with you there. He's not the quickest going through his progressions. And at some level, he needs to get quicker. Uh, yet still on Saturday, he should find a way to get Texas in the end zone often enough, uh, in my opinion. Then the next question that we have is going to be from Brandon Huey. And he says, seems like JT has fallen off since Quinn went down. I'm excited to get him rolling again. What say you guys? I think the Texas offense is the most dangerous when JT's catching the ball in the intermediate game along the seams and hash marks. I think if you go back and look at Alabama game, Right. And and that's the good thing about having Quinn back. That plays to his strengths. I think TCU, that's a big matchup for TCU uh, Saturday. Uh, JT Sanders, if, if, if Texas fans see him running open in the intermediate game from that hash mark to those numbers to that seam area, you know, then you're saying, OK, things are going well. Uh, he's made huge plays this season when he's caught the ball in those areas because the wide receivers get so much attention that he has a lot of space to maximize yards after catch. That's to me when Texas is most dangerous as an offensive team. I think there's been a little bit of a drop off with Quinn out. I mean, but he has made some plays. He made that big fourth down catch on Saturday uh, against uh, the, the Wildcats. He had a big catch against uh, and collision against uh, uh, BYU as well as another big catch. I, I think the, the, the thing that I haven't seen much lately, Jerry, and correct me if I'm wrong, we haven't seen many wide, our tight end screens this year. Yeah, and we, last year we saw an abundance of them. We haven't seen much of that at all this year. Yeah, I think that's the way people are playing Texas. Bottom line, yeah, yeah. everybody's trying to three high against Texas. Uh, by the way, uh, is Quinn's injury to throwing arm or not? Eh, I'm not sure. It, it was his AC joint that he reported. It's his right side. AC joints reported. He came out of the Houston, the locker room in Houston with ice on his ribs. I guess Danny Moth asked, does the offensive line protect Quinn this week like a mama bear protecting her? <laughs> <laughs> well, they better. <laughs> I, look, Jerry made this point yesterday. They better not try to use JT Sanders on a deep pass trying to block an oncoming blitzing you know, defensive end one-on-one that's what they that's what Steve Sarkeesian probably is not going to do on Saturday I wouldn't think you know but Sark likes to gamble a little bit with his play calls um look I do think they need to uh 
be particularly good. TCU has not been a great pass rush team this year, by the no. way. Uh, which is not like numbers. Not like a Gary Patterson coach TCU defense that you remember and kind of what you saw last year where they still had guys coming in waves at you. It's just a different – I mean, I think that much like Matt Rule left Baylor and some of the, those defensive players cycled through early and then later, some of those defensive players at TCU are cycling through right now. That's my opinion. Now we have a super chat from Justin Yarbrough. Thank you, Justin. And he says, in yesterday's video, Paul mentioned some people thought TCU stole signs from Texas. I would like to hear y'all's thoughts, and does it make the team a little more motivated? Yeah, one, I don't know that. And two, um, uh, I don't think Texas needs any motivation. I think the loss last year is the motivation. Um, and, and that's, I mean, that's the real motivation. And here's the other motivation. Three games away from a Big 12 championship game. Uh, still in the college football playoff hunt. I don't think this team needs extra motivation right now. That, I don't think there's needs to be bulletin board material. I just don't think any of this matters right now. This team, th their mission should be enough right now. And they can see the goal, which is the Big 12 championship. They can taste it. Yeah. It's close enough. It's not just seeing. It's not you're not five thousand, you're not 50 yards away from it. You're about 10 yards away from it and about to eat. Yeah. That's the that's that. I, I will say that to Jerry's point, they are absolutely motivated. And to think otherwise, after I think they were embarrassed last year against TCU, Bijan literally had a chance for the Heisman until that game. Okay. Um, and they could not move the football. Sark couldn't move the football. I think Sark was embarrassed by it a little bit personally. Um, I think the defense played well, but I mean, TCU got away with some things too on holding. My all of that being said, okay, I circle back to a couple of things on, on this game. One, there is no lack in motivation. They've got it. Uh, two, uh, Texas has uh, Quinn Ewers back at quarterback. That should be uh, a tremendous asset. And then as far as the third aspect that y'all are asking about and these, the sign ceiling stuff, uh, it definitely happened. Jared Wiley was probably part of it. He had just been with Sark in his first year at Texas, and Jared Wiley had moved to tight end. He probably knew every single sign. It happens, right? And so uh, that's not illegal, by the way. It's not it's not Connor Stallions in Michigan going to other people's games. I mean, this stuff happens. It's just it's within the confines of the a game. I don't I don't fault Texas, or I don't fault Jared Wiley for that. He's just helping his team out like he should. My point is uh, that that Texas uh, is aware of that more, acutely aware of it more now, and likely ready to do something about it. Hey, by the way, I see a lot of people saying checking in from Fort Worth, Jake Faust, guys. When you go to Fort Worth, go to Yogi's Bagel Shop, man. Get your breakfast brunch Saturday. Yogi's <laughs> our friend, man. A great spot too. Yeah. All right, everybody. Well, get your lawnmowers out because time go ahead jerry tell everybody about manscape look look guys let's clean this thing up on a fr on a friday man don't go into the weekend let's clean it up it's not a bird it's not a plane it's a ball trimmer sent from space gentlemen our friends over at manscape have been working night and day to bring you the below the waist grooming experience like none other with their brand new lawnmower 5.0 ultra 
We're talking about a next generation trimmer with interchangeable blade heads for whatever shave your your mind can imagine. Upgrade your grooming game to the Ultrasphere this year by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with code ONTEXAS, all caps. High tech for low places, manscaped.com. Hey, every man knows how scary it can get when going for a close shave below the belt. That's why I trust Manscaped for all my sensitive areas. And guys, one more thing. You know, as a Texas fan, you know why you need to use Manscaped? Because you damn well know Brett Yormark doesn't. So. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Never oh, a dull moment. Never a dull moment on this show. <laughs> all right, guys. Let's go ahead and get to the next question. Then I'll have to go back and read all the comments from when you were reading that. <laughs> but Ryan from Shiner says, how much do you expect Texas to blitz TCU? It's a young turnover prone quarterback this week. Man, I don't. I don't. I think Texas is going to see what they can get first off, first off just with their front four. That's my. That's why I wanted to bring up this question. If Texas can get pressure with the front, then they, PK has everything he wants at his disposal. If he starts having to bring numbers, then the pass first gets a little scarier for Texas. If they can, and I think they can get pressure with their front four, Bobby. I think the interior TCU's offensive line. Steve Avila was a tremendous, maybe great player for them last year. He's not there. Center, a little bit of an issue. But the thing when I watch Texas Tech and TCU, their tackles are back this year and they're good players. I'm not sure they're playing as high a level as people thought they would. If they don't play at a really high level Saturday, I think I think uh, uh, TCU is in trouble because Texas's front is going to get pressure. Now, Bobby, how do you negate that pressure? Going fast. Yeah, that, that's what TCU will do. That's what Browse is going to do. Yeah, they'll, they'll do hurry up, no huddle, just like Jeff Levy in Oklahoma. It will it will play into some fatigue on the Longhorns' defensive front, and they'll get Tavondre Sweat eight plays in as opposed to Tavondre Sweat first play, second play, third play in, right? And I think that's where that's where this game could be a little tricky for the Longhorns because they have a they have a counter to Texas having a better upfront group. And that's the hurry up, no huddle. If they can throw it around and be effective. Okay, Jerry, if they can't be effective on that, then that doesn't work. So uh, we'll see. We'll see where Texas, uh, what they do. Hey, Blake, I wanted to mention one thing. Um, I was on the road yesterday in New Orleans, back in Houston uh, now, but uh, I stopped by John Errett yesterday. Uh, hung out around that high school for a couple hours, talked to Wardell Mack. Uh, uh, top 100 kid in the country, the four-star DB, committed to Florida. Uh, a couple of interesting notes there. One, I will say Texas is definitely in play. Um, his recruitment is, remains in the balance. He remains in kind of, uh, quotes from uh, Wardell Mack at Inside Texas right now. Obviously, OTFIT23 is the code uh, for a subscription Inside Texas there. Uh, if you're watching this show, um, there you go. Uh, but talk to Wardell, have quotes from him on Texas. Um, it was pretty interesting. I think Texas is very much in this, um, very much in this. Uh, interesting thing about Wardell Mack, again, he does love the state of Florida. I, I, that is, that's a big thing with him. I'm, I, that's always been, when I've been to John Eric two times before, that always stuck out to me. So when he committed the floor, I was like, okay, I can, I, I can see it. Um, but 
he plans to get back to Texas before December, possibly before December 20th. He's going to be at the other interesting thing. He's going to be in Tallahassee for the Miami Florida state game this weekend. You know why that's bad news for Florida? Because Florida's playing at LSU. So LSU still in it. FSU still fighting it uh, in it as well. But I think Texas is in a decent spot here, guys. Let's see what happens in the next five weeks. Get so on up. Hey, Jerry. What about what about Xavier Phil same out of uh, the the Metroplex? Yeah, the other interesting thing there is, uh, you know, Mac and Phil same talk a lot, which is something I because then those text groups, you know, DBs committed the same school. Uh, Texas is, you know, they're all in on Phil same. The key there is going to be getting him and his father to campus. You know, Wardell Mac technically Texas could could get a flip there if, if it happened to go that way. And he doesn't really have to get back to campus. He's been there multiple times. He made the official visit in June. Phil Same, I believe, tech, it's different with Texas. Texas needs to get him and his father on campus. But I'm here to tell you, um, I, I think the Florida class is starting to have some issues, guys. And, and I'm not just talking about the guys Texas is recruiting, but it's kind of like the A&M class when – when, when when other guys start saying, eh, you know, I'm not sure. Maybe I may flip the FSU. I may flip the Georgia. All it takes is two or three of those guys. And uh, start your drinking game. You just want to hang around the rim if you're Texas on Wardell, Wardell Mack and Phil Same. Because Florida's got as tough a final three games as any team in America. At LSU, at Missouri, and FSU at home. That is one heck of a hard finish to the season. And Jaden Daniels is supposed to play this weekend for LSU. He cleared concussion protocol. Well, Dallas Turner didn't get his job done, clearly. <laughs> Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Well, I mean, here's... He did, he did that game, though. Jerry, you're talking about it. You and I have been there, okay? We've seen when the worm turns and a recruiting class starts to crumble. Yeah. Starts to peel off. It started a little bit for A&M a couple weeks ago with Weston okay. Davis and Draylon Miller. Now, AM recruited nationally enough where it's going to be hard for some of those guys. But Cam Coleman, apparently, the five-star wide receiver that AM has committed, is visiting other places right now. Right? Some guys are starting to peel. Right? So uh, if that's happening at Florida, it's not just going to be DBs. They'll they'll get nicked here and there and then limp to the finish line. Look, look, they're they're Nasir Johnson, a D lineman for them. If he flips the Georgia, that's not good. Uh, there's a there's another defensive player. If he flips the FSU, that's not good. That that's where this thing, to Bobby's point, starts rolling downhill in a bad way for the Gators. And looks good for Texas as a result. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Texas recruiting for just a moment while we're on that subject because we have a few questions. And Ashton Holloman says, does the 12-1 Texas bring in a top five class? It does if Sark wants it to be versus going a little harder in the portal. Interesting. So if he wants to go to 24-25 as opposed to 22-23? Yeah. I mean, look, what's it worth? 
I mean, I, I, at the end of the day, you can say top five class, but wouldn't you rather have a, a bad mojo at receiver and tight end and safety yeah. from the portal? I mean, because you know they're going to play right away. What's the value? You know, you got to think about that. For sure. Then this next recruiting question, guys, is from Rocky Four. And he says, who's the most important player for Texas to recruit in the 25 class? You know, DeCorian Moore obviously is the one that that, that the fan base loves, right? I mean, the receiver. AJ Lacey, Jerry. Right, right, right. Um, And I was going there and plus another position. DeCorian Moore is the fan favorite, I think, at this point. And look, he committed to LSU. It'd be fun to flip him. Five-star receiver, Duncanville, extremely, extremely talented player. Um, but to Bobby's point, it's keeping KJ Lacey when Auburn and Alabama are going to fight you all the way to the end on it. Um, it, it. That that's very important because you had Arch in twenty-three, you have Trey in twenty-four. You can get K. By the way, Trey Owens, Cypher smashed Bel Air as expected last night. Uh, because it wasn't a baseball game with Rocky Manuel in the dugout. Uh, but the uh, Cy Fair now takes on Katie High next week, it looks like. So that'll be a big game. I'll probably go to that one next week. But uh, And then uh, after that, you know, I'm going Michael Fasusi. I'm not saying he's a Kelvin Banks level talent, but offensive tackles in the SEC that are that uh, that are high, high-level guys, I think are very important. Uh, moving forward for Texas. But I'll say this. I'm not sure that the, the prospect in Texas that's not going to end up being most important to Texas isn't a 2026 guy, offensive tackle John Turntine. But I, I think there's a feeling there. Uh, he may, He's ahead of uh, Kelvin Banks at the same age, and I would agree with that thought. Wow. Big words. Well, you're watching Coffee and Football presented by BKCW Insurance and Nate's Takes says these award semifinalist announcements are awesome. Does that impact recruiting? A little bit, but not not it's not a huge thing, but it's better than not having them. Right. Um, which Texas has endured at times. Um, you know, I, I think that it those awards typically, not all the time, but typically are team almost team awards. Jade Barron doesn't have the stats to be a, a Thorpe Award semifinalist, but they're looking around, oh, Texas is in the top 10. Who's their best DB? That, that's how, I mean, I'm, I serve on a couple of those committees, by the way. I and vote for a couple of them. So I know how it, serving on the committee is not the right word to say. I vote for some of them. Um, I know how they get winnowed down uh, to the Bolitnikoff semifinalist, final, et cetera. And it is, you know, basically guys that are on winning teams unless there is a super freak out there yep. that you know is, you know, got to be on there. So that that's how that works. I would say this. Let, let's put this in order. Hey, hey, by the way, Travis Hunter is not on a winning team. He'll be on the yeah. this list and that list kind of thing. So, uh, But let's, let's put it in order. Wins is always number one. NFL draft is number two. Winning the award is number three. So where the awards fall, it helps if you win the award. Look, Bijan winning. If, if Jonathan Brooks won the dope <laughs> the year after Bijan, that would be really impactful down the road in recruiting for Sark and Tashar Choice. The Jordan Davidsons of the world. I mean, look, I, I that is where it's at for me. So winning always trumps all. Seeing kids 
your name called on draft night is always going to be two. Then after that, you get to everything else. Okay, guys, the chat is wanting me to call you Jer Dog. So, Jer Dog, <laughs> the next question is for you. There, I'm going to actually combine two questions here. Uh, Chris Bacon says, y'all probably done this, but can you give us the comparison for KJ Lacey? And then I'm going to follow that up with Archmania's question. Are we totally sold on KJ Lacey? Is he top three next year? Take it away, Jared Dog. I'm sold. I'm sold on KJ Lacey. I've seen him twice. So I've been around him. I've asked him the questions, right? I've asked him the QB questions. I've asked him the background questions. I talked to his father for about an hour and a half one day at a practice and a seven on seven. So I, I've got the questions answered that I wanted to about him as a quarterback. Uh, look, point guard in basketball. Quarterback in football, very good feet, very smooth mover, whether it's in the pocket, out, outside the pocket, uh, quick arm. can As Sark said, makes all the throws. Guys, Sark doesn't recruit guys that can't make all the throws. So you already know he's got the arm talent. But here's the thing uh, with him as far as a comp. And, and I'm not saying he's going to be this is the draft. He's an interesting guy as a comp, because there's really only one guy, Bobby, that, that's currently been good uh, in, in college football that's in the NFL right now that's similar frame, and it's Bryce Young. Because K.J. Lacey, he's got a little more thickness in his lower body than you think. If you just look at him, he looks really young in his upper body, and he is a young kid. He's going to end up being a six-foot, 195, 200, 205 pound guy, probably closer to 200, 205 pounds. And his game is very similar to Bryce Young. That's the only guy I can really say right now that people have seen recently that he could be if he maximizes his talent. DJ Lagway flip. Uh, no, uh, no, I think uh, uh, Texas, Texas isn't even trying there. Now Texas, Texas likes Texas likes Trayons. Trayons is a really good pocket passer. He fits what Steve Sarkeesian recruits. All right, y'all. We have a I couple. Of Lagway's a really good player, by the way. We have a couple of super chats we need to get to. This first one from Brandon Morgan. Thank you, Brandon. He says, "If Naor stays, do you think he starts at wide receiver on the outside with Jonte Cook next year?" I think that Jonte Cook could play any of the three positions. Naor is strictly an outside guy, like Ad Mitchell. Um, I think the other thing is the portal. We'll see what happens in the portal. And you, right away, Ryan Wing goes an early enrollee. Very true. And then Terrell Hennigan with the super chat. Thank you, Terrell. He says every significant skill player next year, except tight end, will either be a first or second year player. How will Sark adjust the offense to compensate for this? Well, so here's the thing with the portal. We can't say that yet, but I get what he's getting at. It's going to be a less experienced on the field wearing the Texas uniform team. And one other thing that they, they will lack to Terrell's point and this and Sark is big on this, Jerry, all that pre-snap motion. Texas right now goes through that. Like it's nobody's business. It's right. almost, they, I mean, they feel a lot like a pro team where they can just get that pre-snap motion and it's all there. You even saw, but you saw Adonai Mitchell early in the season, have some hiccups with it. That may happen early next year if you do go to the portal for some of these guys. Um, but look, Jonathan Brooks, I don't know if he's going to be back, but Cedric Baxter is going to have plenty of playing time. Uh, Jonte Cook will be back. I, 
I think that I, I get what he's saying, but at the same time, it's not like Texas is recruiting poorly in yeah. those areas. And I'll say the flip side, and Casey brought up the point I was going to make, so credit to Casey in the chat. The offensive line is going to be very experienced next year with Cam Williams and Calvin Banks and DJ. I mean, they're going to look – and they're going to look and be ready to be the off- the best offensive line Texas had probably in, you know, I don't want to say 20 years, but yeah. I would. Yeah. It's 0405. Yeah. A good while for sure. Oh, no. I, I mean, would. I don't think there's like Jerry, if Kelvin Bay, if they're healthy, there's no doubt in my mind. Yeah. Next year, what that offense and, and with the depth behind it. I mean, look, I mean, guys like, look, Trevor Gooseby, he's got a bright future. Um, uh, Jaden Chapman got a bright future. Um, there's uh, these young guys are while Texas fans aren't seeing them on the field, Connor Stroh's very strong point of attack player, right? While uh, Andre Kojo has really good feet and they're reshaping his body, still haven't turned 18 yet. Th- that freshman offensive line class is getting time to bake, and that's the best thing that could have happened for those guys. So, the depth on the offensive line is really going to start showing up through recruiting in the next couple of years. All right, guys, we're about to bring in Steven Johnson of the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. But before we do that, Bobby, I'm going to let you tell everybody about BKCW Insurance real quick. Yeah, absolutely. Just remember this. BKCW takes you out of the insurance trap by providing you with actual risk management consulting, not just price quoting. Uh, Operating out of their headquarters in Austin, Texas and owned by a UT grad, BKCW uses a five-step process to identify your business's weak spots, design a plan, execute it, and monitor your situation throughout the year so that you can lower your insurance costs and effectively manage your company's risk. Go to BKCW or send an email to info at BKCW to get started with a free risk assessment or claims audit and escape the insurance trap. It is that time of year, guys, with a December just around the corner. You're going to want to get ahead of this before the new year. Give them a call or text them. Uh, email info at bkcw.com. Thanks. All right. Well, as I said, we have Steven Johnson, beat writer, TCU beat writer for the Fort Worth Star Telegram joining us. And Steven, how's it going this morning? Hey, guys. I'm doing all right. Appreciate the invite. Yeah. Well, we're glad you're able to join us up. Uh, What's the temperature uh, of the team? Not necessarily the the weather, but the the temperature of the team up in Fort Worth after a year ago, TCU having this Cinderella season. This year, they've fallen flat in many respects, but shown signs of life at different times. What's your general takeaway right now? Well, honestly, the temperature of the team is honestly like the temperature right here in DFW. It's kind of gloomy, a little gray, a lot of cloud, very cloudy right now, just because I think – I think there was some expectation, you know, TC would step back. But if you look, oh, sorry about that, guys. Good. Uh, but if you look at their schedule, I thought there was a real chance this was a team that could have started off 6-0, and 7-0, whatever the case was before they went to Kansas State a couple of weeks ago. So now they're in this position where in January you play for a national title game. Now you're in this position where you had to beat two teams in the top 15 just to reach a bowl game. And I know technically they can reach a bowl game. They finished 5-7. and seven have APR, but I, that, that's not how TCU wants to get to a bowl game. So right now they understand the moment. They understand how big this, this game is. It's going to be the last matchup with Texas probably for the foreseeable future. They're battling for bowl for, you know, bowl eligibility. And now 
They got another primetime game. So this is going to be another game that's going to have a lot of eyes on a lot of national interest. So I think they'll probably play their best game, but honestly, I'm not sure that's going to be enough. Hey, Stephen, uh, uh, I guess uh, follow up with that. What's the health of the TCU team right now? Sonny Dykes mentioned the three of the receivers being out. Uh, uh, it, it kind of talk about the health of this TCU team going into the Texas game. Well, Chandler Morris will be – the plan isn't to play him on Saturday. Unless something goes drastic, they'll keep rolling with Josh Hoover, the redshirt freshman, start the last two games. The receivers are banged up. Uh, Warren Thompson, Jack Besh, and uh, Dalen Wright. All were a couple of transfers they brought in and kind of started at different times. They'll all be out on Saturday. And also some of the younger guys, like a Cordell Russell, Jordan Bailey, they probably won't play either because the staff is trying to preserve their red shirt. So you've been looking at a situation where TCU might only have five or six scholarship wide receivers available. The health of that room has kind of been um, – has really hurt, I think, the team's chemistry all year. Just guys have been in and out of the lineup. But for the most part, I think the rest of the team is healthy. They got Johnny Hodges back last week which was a big help to the defense. I imagine he'll probably play a better game getting some of that rest off. So outside of the receiver room and Chandler Morris, for the most part, TCU should be pretty healthy coming into this one. Uh, you mentioned uh, Josh Hoover. It, they they very high on him up there in Fort Worth at this point. Uh, I know it's early in his career, but, man, he's, he's getting a lot of valuable time. I think so. I think most fans are probably one. If, if, even if Chandler, let's say, gets cleared next week, I think they would rather just have Josh finish out the season. It's a little bit younger. Uh, I think he's shown enough flash to where you probably want to see it. And, you know, you need to determine next year how uh, aggressive do we need to be in the transfer portal? Do we need to just bring a guy in for depth or do we need to bring a guy in to possibly compete? Even if that means a guy like Chandler ends up leaving. So, Josh, I think Chandler, if he was healthy and had that ability to use his legs, would probably be the better quarterback for TCU to use in this game. But at the same time, I don't think your first game back can be against this Texas defense. So, Josh will have a chance, I think, to make some plays, but it'll be another daunting task for him. Hey, uh, Stephen, I want to ask you this question. Texas appeared in the national championship game in 2009-2010 season. Next year went 5-7, and seven, and then a decade of eh followed for Texas. Um, what do you think is contributing to something like that potentially happening at TCU? I mean, that, that's what TCU is looking at. They played in a national championship game a year ago, and now they're looking, and it doesn't kind of just looks like man, you know, what, what, what's, what's going on there? Well, I think if you're TCU, the hope has to be in the big 12, you guys probably notice it, it, it worsens cycles unless you're Texas and Oklahoma. It's very hard for some of these other teams to have these sustained runs where they go on two, three, four year runs of where they're always getting to the big 12 championship, just because, you know, just in my experience and my few years here on the beat, the talent gap just isn't that big when you get away from Texas and Oklahoma. So I think if if, the, if you have the mindset of TCU, the recruiting, they haven't had the same recruiting class or had the recruiting boost that I think they probably would have wanted. They're behind some teams like Purdue and Minnesota. And when you're located in DFW, man, that's unacceptable. So I think for TCU, I think you have to go to the transfer portal. I think you're going to have to find a quarterback, whether he's a stopgap or whether he's a guy that can come in and start two to three years and kind of regain some of that momentum back. I don't sure, I'm not sure if they have to make any coaching changes. But my general take is when you go from national championship to missing a bowl game, there needs to be at least one major pro one major change in your program because whatever happened last year, it's not just working anymore. It's not it's no longer effective. So I, I don't think TCU has to panic just yet, just because I think the Big 12 is gonna be so wide open next year with Texas and Oklahoma leaving. But they'll need to regain some momentum with a big offseason for sure. Hey, hey Steven, uh, TCU 
has had real issues tackling this season, right? Have, is, have you seen improvements in that? Does, or is Johnny Hodges getting healthy going to make a big difference there potentially? Because that's been their biggest issue on defense, right? I really haven't seen any improvement. We saw some, you know, when they played West Virginia, Iowa State, BYU. But I think as these last two games against Texas Tech and Kansas State have kind of shown us that I think that had a lot more to do with the team they were playing than any improvement from TCU. I think last week they had a reported 25 missed tackles. Colorado, I think it was close to 22. So that's probably been the most surprising thing about this defense. Because Unlike the offense, they brought back seven or eight guys on defense. Most of their two deep. And they were very high on some of the transfer they brought in. So just to see them really just struggle to bring guys down. You know, if a TCU defender makes contact with the ball, a ball carrier, it feels like the ball carrier is always going to get an extra two or three yards on the push. So we didn't see that last year. So there's a lack of physicality. There's a lack of discipline. There's a lack of technique that I don't think many people are expecting to see, especially with a defense that returns so many starters. Great Man, you just, you just, uh, I, my next question for you, Stephen, was this: like, like any surprises for Texas fans that you think they they're unaware of as it relates to TCU and what you just described on defense is to me a little surprising. But anything else that you think that maybe is unthought of when you see you've seen you've been with this TCU team all year, last year, et cetera, so you've really seen them. Anything that would surprise Texas fans on Saturday that they wouldn't necessarily think? I think they'll probably be a little bit surprised, especially considering last year, how far the offensive line play of TCU is kind of falling this year. If you just go back and look at those Fiesta Bowl highlights, there are some plays, man, where, where Max Duggan had a clean pocket for four to five seconds against a legit defensive line. It's, it's been completely different this year. They're not really great at run blocking. They're okay at times against the pass, but now it would be a situation where I think Texas fans will come into Saturday and be pleasantly surprised just how many times they're in the they're in TCU's backfield and then on the flip side how much time Quinn is going to be able to have to throw because the sack numbers are great for TCU but if they're still at 16 I want you guys they had 16 in the first four games you know what I mean against against a lot of Houston's against SMU Colorado they have not been able to get out the quarterback so I think the biggest surprise would be in the trenches where TCU was so good last year where that's honestly been probably the biggest weakness of the team this year. Hey, Stephen, last thing I have for you, um, but I, I do want to know where you're from. It's high school football playoffs. Do you have a team where you went to school in, uh, in in the playoffs? But two, more importantly, what's been the talk about Michigan at TCU with the Connor Stallions thing beating TCU, beating Michigan and the college football playoff? Uh, what's been the talk around the TCU program about the uh, Michigan situation? Well, well, first off, I'm from Memphis, so we started our – Tennessee started the high school playoffs last week. There you so, go. Um, my alma mater, Southwind High. Okay. We're, uh, they're 12-0 for the first time, so the first time in school history they're trying to go to Good the – Good job, league. Steven. You're on it, man. I love it. Yes, sir. Um, but uh, going back to your next question, honestly, there hasn't been a lot of chatter. Obviously, I think the story came out a couple weeks ago that they changed some signs or Ohio State allegedly, you know, told them that Michigan was stealing signs. But other than that – there hasn't been too much chatter because, honestly, TCU has too much to focus on right now, man. It looks like maybe Kansas State and Texas Tech have kind of had their signals with the way they've been playing the last couple of weeks. So there hasn't been a ton of chatter. It's just been a complete focus on Texas and trying to pull off another upset. All right. I, I've got it. This is awesome uh, that you asked that question. Uh, do you think there was anything untoward going on there with Connor Stallions and TCU or or that TCU got help from other other 
teams. I mean, that would only be natural, by the way. Mm. Like, I want to say this. I mean, people that think that what Connor Stallion's done is wrong, they're correct. Mm. You can't go out and you can't go out and scout another team in person. But college coaches have a network. Mm. I mean, Sonny Dykes has been doing this a long time. He's going to call people that he knows in the Big Ten that played Michigan and try to find out what he can. But was there anything – you know, that, that, that you've uncovered that came up that was interesting in all of that? Well, I think, I think there's some truth to the reports of they kind of got a warning or a notice from, from other coaching staff staffs about what Michigan was doing. But I think it's kind of generally, like you said, what Michigan doing, they, they went a little too far. I, I would say that, but now as we're starting to figure out a lot of these teams are doing similar things, maybe they're just not going as hard or going as rogue about it. So, I'm not going to say it's not a big deal because obviously the coaches, coaches, the big 10, the fact it's going to be an investigation. It is a big deal, but it's more of a situation where everybody was kind of robbing the bank, but Michigan used a flamethrower instead of like a silencer or something like that. (laughs) That's kind of my take on it. Um, But yeah, I I don't know how much it had an impact on the game last year, just because they had so much time. They were probably going to change their signals anyway with with the preparation for the Fiesta Bowl. You would think. You would think. All right, Stephen Johnson from the Fort Worth Star Telegram. You're terrific, bud. Awesome. Appreciate appreciate you coming on and meeting with us today. Uh, Best of luck on to you on Saturday. Not so much to the Horn Frogs, of course. (laughs) Uh, But hey, uh, thanks, Stephen. You have Southwind. Appreciate you guys. I can't remember the head coach over there. Back when I was covering recruiting, he used to be a Miami assistant coach. Um, I can't remember his name. I think Herb. Hubbard Alexander or something like that was that was that the head coach at Southland? He, um, he literally was a college football coach and was a the wide receivers coach for the Dallas Cowboys for a time. Wow, this I is back. I wonder if he's the coach there. They got a new coach. He's he's kind of the reason they they were, they're out to that hot start. I played for Cedric Miller, who played at the University of Memphis. His son plays for uh played for Tennessee and he plays for Memphis now. Alexander might be the one that's kind of gotten rolling now. So I got a, a prospect you guys should watch out for, Kelvin Perkins. Probably gonna win five A, Mister Football. That there you go, bringing the recruiting heat. I love it, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Thank you, Stephen. We appreciate That's it. I got those Stephen Johnson of the Fort Worth Star Telegram, and great guest, phenomenal guest. Oh, awesome, awesome. Well, guys, we have a couple of super chats that we have to get to before we get out of here today. This first one from Travis Bingham, and he says. With Jonathan Brooks likely growing pro, do we take another high school running back or a transfer running back? Uh, not because Brooks goes pro. Um, look, Christian Clark very has some similarities to Jonathan Brooks, Bobby. I mean, there are some similarities there. I think he's maybe a little more violent with his cuts, maybe a little more powerful guy, but I think he's got that patience as a runner too, some of the things we've seen. And then mm-hmm. Jarrett Gibson obviously coming in at midterm. The thing I wonder with Texas, Bobby, is I just, I you know, I'm not sitting there saying it's going to happen. But if there was a big short yardage back sitting out there that's played four years of college football, would they take a look at that next year in a role? Because what about this guy at, at Boise? Jante or something like that. I, I don't know his name, but he's originally from Texas, I think. Yeah. Um, and, and had a good I, – I think they might take a look. If they think it's somebody can help the team next year, because look, Savion Red's not an every down back. Trey Wisner, probably not an every down back. Uh, Cedric Baxter, the only one with real 
a lot of experience. Jaden Blue still probably not an every down back. And you don't want to necessarily go on uh, with just a, a freshman, although I guess that's what Cedric Baxter was this year. Um, I, by the way, it was Hubbard Alexander. Okay. Was the coach's name that I was talking about. And he was at Melrose, not at Southwind. That was uh, my, somebody's asking about Christian Clark. In the state of Arizona, you can't, uh, you don't graduate from high school early unless you go through multiple, multiple hoops. You just don't see that happen very often. So Santana Wilson, Christian Clark, not expected to be midterm graduates. Oh, interesting. Christian Clark threw a TD pass last night from the Wildcats. Oh, they're getting warmed up, baby. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> I'll read part two. Yes. <laughs> I got this next super chat here is from Jonathan Forster. Thank you, Jonathan. He says, is Arch Manning trying to recruit anyone? How much do individual players actually affect recruiting? Arch is involved in recruiting. He was part of the Ryan Wingo recruitment, part of the Brandon Baker recruitment. Brandon Baker mentioned that when he committed. Yeah, Arch is very much uh, impacting recruiting for sure. Good question, though, because a lot of times, uh, like Chris Sims was very involved in recruiting mm -hmm. The wide receivers, the DJ Roy and Sloan. Yes. Yeah. Hi, right, Jerry. We have a question that's been asked a few times this week. We just have never gotten time to get to it. So I'm going to go ahead and ask you real quick. Tom Rucker says, when you talk to recruits, how do you approach them? And do you pitch Texas? Love is the show. No, no. So here's, here's the thing. Um, and here's the thing doing this as long as I have. Never have I ever, never would I. Um, that's these kids' lives. It's them. It's them in their circle. It's their parents. Um, it's a kid that needs to make a decision where he wants to be. I mean, you know that that's the reality of this. No, uh, I'm there to cover it. I just I want to. Uh, I call it digging in the ditches, seeing what I can find out. That's why I love school visits. That's why I was in Louisiana the last couple of days. We're not doing this from the couch, um, and people try in our business, uh, but we're not doing this from the couch. Uh, we're going to go out and find information. Uh, meet these kids, talk to them. It's more, it's more for me, it's more about eye to eye conversations with them, talking to them about football, talking about, you know, not even recruiting stuff, just getting a pulse of the guy. Uh, that helps me, especially when I was doing this nationally or with Under Armour game, get a pulse for, is this guy going to maximize his talent? That's really all I, I'm trying to get out of this, this stuff is, is this guy going to maximize his talent? Uh, where's his head really at uh, in the recruiting? Um, you know, uh, but uh no, absolutely not. Never would. It's not my job to recruit players to a school. It's the coach's job. I absolutely could not agree more. I mean, I've been, I did this for the first 10 years of my professional career. You, the minute you start stepping over that line, you're impacting other people's jobs. I mean, it's not your job to go out and influence those recruits at all. And if you do, you're, you're a turkey in my opinion. I Bobby, this next question I'm going to ask you from Justin Wells, not the other Justin Wells, but can you explain <laughs> what it means funny. when a defense brackets a wide receiver? Um, that may be how Justin says his own name, pronounce it Wales. <laughs> I love Justin. Um, I know uh, what it means is they play one guy over the top and one guy underneath. That's essentially it. One guy will follow underneath, one guy plays him over the top. Okay, guys, this will be the last question for today. From I better not just P. Bacons. Okay. <laughs> from Champ Bailey 3. But bring Jonathan, it up next. <laughs> okay, I will. Can Jonathan Brooks make a statement game for his Heisman resume, or is that too far of a reach at this point? I don't think he has a Heisman resume. Yeah. He yeah. wasn't the guy against Alabama. It was Quinn. Yeah. Right? Um, 
And so I, I just don't, I don't see Texas. I, he, he could go for 300 and he wouldn't be in the top five in the Heisman against TCU. That's my opinion. Yeah. Did you really tell me to bring that question up? <laughs> I'm not bringing that question up. <laughs> I just now got to read it. I am not bringing that question up. Okay, Alan, we do have one more question, though, because we're not going to end the show on that note. Esteban says, if you could fix one thing before tomorrow, what would it be? Red zone offense or two-minute defense if you had to choose? Two-minute defense because TCU is going to go fast. They're going to test your weakness. And they're going to try to run two-minute offense the entire game. That's right. Successful. That's right. So it's two-minute defense, no question. All right, guys. Before we get out of here, Bobby, I'm going to let you tell everybody what's happening not only today, but this weekend right here on On Texas Football. Yeah, absolutely. At, at 1 o'clock today, we have our Friday afternoon conversation. It'll be myself, Rod uh, Babers, as well as Jerry Hamilton. Uh, then we'll go and have uh, questions answered with Joe Cook and uh, Joe Cook and Justin Wells, uh, as well as talking football uh, with Jerry Hamilton, excuse me, quarterback room with Jerry Hamilton and Rod Babers as well. Then tomorrow, Saturday conversation, pregame, watch with us with Aaron Hogan, postgame. Look, it is football time and the Longhorns are eight and one. We're not going to step da- step back. We're going to keep trying to deliver the goods because uh, right now the Longhorns deserve uh, the coverage that they're getting. Uh, eight and one, uh, first time in a long time. Uh, Texas just needs to keep on building that block one game at a time. Uh, tomorrow is interesting. I love Steven Johnson being on this show earlier today because he was not high at all on the offensive or defensive lines for the Horn Frogs. I agree with him. You know, very interesting. And one other thing we didn't go over, by the way, when Quinn Ewers yesterday was named starter by, by Steve Sarkeesian, the line for the Texas TCU game jumped from 10.5 to 12.5. That's right. Hey, and, and my last thing. Guys, for the com- for you guys in the chat, who thinks Jim Harbaugh coaches tomorrow in that game? I do. It'll be very interesting to see how. There's a rumor he's going to get a three-game suspension. Would it be this game, or would it start after? What does he do for them? I mean, literally, he's not the offense coordinator. He's not the defense coordinator. He says, "Go for it on fourth and one." Yeah, he really is the. He's the alpha of the program, but really, he's just the recruiting coordinator at this point, in my opinion. Okay. All right. Well, we want to thank all of you for tuning in for today's episode of Coffee and Football presented by BKCW Insurance. Want to thank them for sponsoring today's show. Want to thank Manscaped. Also want to say happy Veterans Day tomorrow to all the vets out there. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you for the super chats. Be sure to hit that like and subscribe button. We would definitely appreciate that. Ring the bell so you're notified anytime a video is posted. And for Bobby Burton and Jerry Hamilton, I'm Blake Monroe, and we'll see you Monday morning.